Father, we're so thankful that, that our eternity is wrapped up in an old rugged cross. And the sacrifice that was made by one man who would have no sin but be sin for us. What a Savior we have. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for rescuing us from our sin. And Father, as we open up your word today, may we be reminded of our responsibility to do whatever it takes to make sure other people have this hope that we have in this room today. In Jesus' good name we pray, amen and amen. As you take your seat, find a Bible. Open it up with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, again, Kenneth and choir, orchestra, instrumentalist, children, student, choir, thank you so much for leading us in worship this morning and such a, an honor to come into the presence of one who's done so much for us. As we, uh, as you see, you can see on the communion table here, there are some things that aren't normally here. That is that at the end of our time of worship today, we will observe communion. And, and the purpose of that is to show forth the Lord's death until he comes. That's what the Bible tells us to do. That's why we observe communion. It's, it's the, the relationship we have with Jesus and each other, and we're to, to declare that to the world. And, and that goes along with, as, the, as we sang this morning to our Lord, it, it, it fits very well with thinking of his sacrifice for us, and it, it fits very well with what we want to think about for a few minutes this morning as we think about the idea of whatever it takes. Now, we're spending a few weeks looking at the, the DNA, if you will, of First Baptist Church, some of those those core values that define the mission of our church and that should guide what our church does. But these, and these are certainly not an exhaustive list of values, but uh, certainly being the church involves more than just these values, but it also does not involve anything less than these values. And, and these are values that should not only define our church, but they should define our lives as followers of Jesus as they are the essence of what it means to follow Jesus. And, and we're looking at six of them uh, over the course of the next several weeks, and we're zeroing in specifically on two of those values that we are looking to, to really try to accomplish well here in this year that God has given to us. One of those values is serving our community, and, and I don't know if you noticed the dirt work that's taking place out here when you walk outside and look to your left, uh, uh, that is uh, dirt work that's going to soon uh, house our new food pantry building, which will allow us to serve our community. You'll have a chance to serve our community in a few weeks when we have Mission Milton on Saturday, March the 5th. That's a day in which we serve our community, and that's one aspect of what we're really zeroing in on this year. And the other is sharing the gospel. And, and we looked at that last week. We'll look at it again this week. And, and I hope that you'll be back this afternoon at four o'clock.
o'clock because at four o'clock here in the sanctuary, we're going to provide you with a very simple method and a very simple paradigm that you can use to share the gospel with anyone, how you can turn an everyday conversation into a gospel conversation. So I hope again that you'll be here at four o'clock this afternoon as we learn more about that, as we focus on that this year. Now to understand, last week we focused on the reckless love of God that he has for us from a parable in Luke chapter 15, the parable of a lost son. Luke chapter 15 is actually a chapter in which Jesus tells three different parables, three stories that convey the same truth. For example, in Luke 15, he told a story about a shepherd who had 100 sheep and he discovers that one is missing. That shepherd didn't say, well, I have a 99 more and, and, and just losing 1% isn't that bad. No, he was so distraught over that one that was lost that he stows the 99 in a safe place and he spends all night searching for that one. That is how God feels about one person that is lost. He told a story in Luke 15 about a woman who lost a valuable coin. She lost one of the 10 coins that she owned. We maybe assume from that 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 represents a tenth of her life savings. She spent the entire day tearing up her house looking for that lost coin. You wouldn't do that probably for a penny, but you would do that for something valuable. Jesus is teaching us that people are valuable to God. And then the one we looked at last week was that story of the lost son. You notice how the value of the lost object increased with every story that Jesus shared in Luke 15. The son rejected his father. The son shamed his father, ran away with the inheritance. But rather than disowning his son, rather than hating his son, that father paced the door every day looking and longing for his son to return. That's how God feels about people created in his image. People who rebelled against him. People who are in sin. He longs for them to return to him. The point that was being stressed in Luke 15, lost people matter to God and if they matter to God, they must matter to God's people and to God's church. In fact, that, that parable that, that Jesus told, I'm going to show you the verses in a minute as we think about whatever it takes. And, and just look at the language Jesus used when he told that parable in Luke 15 of this shepherd who lost his sheep. Luke 15 verse 4 says, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so, and look at these words, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I've been reading the Bible and preaching and pastoring for a couple of decades, and it just 
just, I mean, this passage hit me square between the eyes this week as I was preparing for today. Look at what Jesus is saying. There is more joy in heaven over one person being reclaimed than the faithfulness of the 99. In other words, what Jesus, unless I'm missing it, what Jesus is saying is that nothing we can do with the 99 brings Jesus as much joy as rescuing the one. Absolutely, we we care about the 99, and we want to minister to the 99, and, and we want to make disciples of the 99, but nothing we do with the 99 brings Jesus as much joy as rescuing that one. Let's look at how Paul talked about the urgency of that task, and I think Paul's words reinforce what Jesus said. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 19, Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant or a slave to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, whatever it takes for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. Look how Paul uses a race as a picture of the task of reaching all people. In a race, you lay aside anything that doesn't help you, anything that would hinder you. If you're going to run a marathon, full self-disclosure, I don't know that much about running marathons. I do know how to drive to win Dixie and get a cookie cake, but beyond that, but if you are going to run a marathon, you've got every right to wear a backpack, a parka, steel-toed boots, or high heels. You've got every right to do that, but those things are going to hinder your ability to win. And if you want to have a shot at winning, you will lay those things aside to accomplish the goal. Paul is saying that he will lay aside anything, absolutely anything. He will lay aside anything that keeps him from bringing more people to Jesus. Paul is willing to do whatever it takes to bring others into a relationship with Jesus. So this morning, I want to pose this thought and this question from the stated mission and the goal that Paul possessed and pursued. What do we need to do as followers of Jesus? What do we need to do as a church that belongs to Jesus that will do whatever it 
takes to introduce people to Jesus? I don't want to answer that question in three ways. First, whatever it takes means that the mission of God is the priority. Paul was willing to put his personal preferences in the back seat so that the ministry of the gospel of Jesus could occupy the front seat. You see, for something to be the priority means that everything else is secondary to what the priority is. Priorities, plural, is really something that really can't exist. It is singular. There is one priority that everything else comes after that one priority. And when Paul talked about, for example, in the gospel, in 1 Corinthians 15, when he talked about the gospel, he said this gospel is of first importance. That's the same thing. It's the priority. Everything else pales in comparison. Now, now let me give you an example of how Paul used this principle. The examples from the book of Acts, he had one of his travel companions, a man by the name of Timothy, go through, shall we say, a rather painful experience. You see, Timothy, his mother was a Jew, and his father was a Gentile. Now, for Jews... The act of circumcision was something that you did to show that you were a Jew, that you respected your heritage. Timothy's mother was a Jew, but his father was not. Therefore, he was not a Jew, and Timothy had not gone through that experience. And that became a problem for many of the Jews that Paul and Timothy were trying to reach because they felt Timothy was disrespecting his heritage. So Paul, in the book of Acts, Paul concludes that according to the gospel, Timothy did not have to experience this, but in order to remove any obstacle for the gospel being heard, Timothy endured that experience. That's the new measuring stick for what makes you uncomfortable in church. Okay, we're gonna that's what we'll start using. You see, well, understand that, that what would cause Paul to encourage Timothy to do that? And, and why would Timothy be willing to experience that? Because for them, the mission of God was not to meet their preferences, but to reach those far from God. Go back and recall that parable of the one lost sheep. There is literally nothing we can do with the 99 that will bring Jesus as much joy as reaching the one, which means our priority, the thing which must be first above all else is going after the one. You say, Pastor, I don't want to do that. Okay, that's fine. You also just need to admit that you don't want to do whatever it takes to accomplish the mission of God because whatever it takes means the mission of God is the priority. Second, Whatever it takes means that we seek to reach all people. Did you catch 
the emphasis in what Paul was saying, the emphasis of the word all, it appeared several, several times. Now that word all in our text doesn't mean as many people as possible. That word all means all kinds of people. When Jesus issued the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, he told us that our task was to reach all nations. That word nations refers to all people groups, the different tribes and ethnicities and language groups and people from all walks of life, from every socioeconomic group, from every race and from every political affiliation. When Paul went to Corinth to plant a church, he didn't plant the first Jewish Baptist church on one side of town and the first Jewish Gentile Baptist church on the other side of town. Rather, he planted one church with people from different walks of life, and then he wrote letters like 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians to help them get along with each other when their cultures collided. You see, most of the examples that Paul used in discussing being willing to do whatever it takes to reach all people were linked to his willingness, to Paul's willingness to adapt to situations and cultures that were not his own. This is why he says, to the Jew, I became like a Jew. That means he did Jewish things. He ate Jewish food. He entered into Jewish discussions and struggles in order to share the gospel with them. When he says, to those under the law, I became like one under the law. That means that he respected their traditions. He followed their protocols. He adapted to their community as much as possible, even though he was free to live outside that law. He did that to reach all kinds of people. I want you to hear me this morning and hear me from my heart. The things that often get in the way of people hearing the gospel are cultural barriers within the same geographic region. The gap between us and many of the people who need God and that God has placed around us, many of those barriers are cultural. I just want to remind you this morning of something that I think you know to be true, but knowing it to be true and practicing it it as truth are two separate things. So hear me from my heart when I remind you that we must realize that Jesus died for Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, Green Partiers, Tea Partiers, and Green Tea Partiers. That he died for white people, he died for black people, he died for brown people, he died for olive people, he died for a person of every color on the pallet from Lowe's or Home Depot. 
He died for people who have bank accounts, multiple bank accounts with lots of zeros in each one. He died for people who do not have a dollar bill to their name. And he died for every person at every point in between. He died for straight people. He died for gay people. He died for transgender people. He died for people, and I never thought I had to preach this. He died for people who think face masks are useful, and he died for people who think they are useless. He died for people who refuse a vaccine, and he died for people who've had both shots and 12 boosters. He died for people at the Baptist church. He died for people at the Methodist church. He died for people at the satanic temple. In order for us to reach all kinds of people, we must realize that his death is for all kinds of people. And how dare we insert some cultural construct that's not going to matter in eternity and allow it to keep us from sharing eternity with some someone else. The only thing that will matter in eternity is what you have done with Jesus. That should be the only thing that matters to this church. That should be the only thing that matters to you. That should be the only thing that matters. Is to see that the only thing that matters in eternity It's what someone does for Jesus and with him. For Paul, everything was a secondary matter. Well, you see, to reach all people, we have to be willing to lay aside parts of the culture that we cling to in order to enter someone else's world. And that's hard, but it's necessary. Everything was a secondary matter when it came to getting people to Jesus. He was willing to remove any obstacle. And if we're going to be people who do, who do whatever it takes, we must have the same mentality. Number three, whatever it takes means that we participate in the mission of God. Paul felt a personal obligation and responsibility to participate in God's mission. Paul did not pass this job off to Timothy, sit in his pew for an hour a week, and consider his job as a follower of Jesus done. He actively participated in the mission of God. You say, Pastor, that's not really my gift. I don't care. That's your calling. It ain't to be a gift. It is your calling. You see, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. When you accepted the call to follow Jesus, you were called and commissioned to reach people. And when God calls you to do something, he will equip you to do it. The mission of God isn't a special gifting for the few. It is a mandate for us all. Say, Pastor, I don't know how. Four o'clock this afternoon. We're going to solve that problem. So if that's your excuse, it'll be warmer at four than it was here. You're here now. Might as well be here then. And later on, before this week is done, you'll be able to go to a page on a website. It's not there yet, but it will be later this week. fbcmilton.org slash one. And we're going to reemphasize our Who's Your One initiative. And we're going to couple you identifying your one 
and your three circles, so whatever methods you use, to you, so you can actively participate in the mission of God. I can preach until my voice is gone. I can preach until I'm red, blue, and purple in the face. I can preach until all this excess fat has been sweated off. But the needle is not going to move in doing whatever it takes unless you participate. Let me tell you why this is important. Several years ago, I had the the privilege of of traveling with a few people to the nation of Malaysia and Southeast Asia. Malaysia is a Muslim country, but they are very open to other religions because they have so many people who come to their nation from other nations for work. They don't mind you sharing the gospel with those other nations, but you can't share it with the Malaysian people. uh, Islam is their faith, and so you could share the gospel. You just got to be really careful about how you do it. And specifically, our task was to go and share the gospel with a group of Vietnamese migrant workers who left Vietnam and came to Malaysia to work for a couple of years, and we worked with a Vietnamese pastor, and, and we sought to do ministry and mission for them during that time. And on one of the trips, we had some time to spare between our appointments for the day, and, and we walked to a Hindu temple. And we walked through the, the Hindu temple, and we, we noticed all the the, the elements they had, the gods that they could pray to, the, the, the spinning wheel that you could throw in the money, and, and if it landed in joy, you had joy, and all that other kind of stuff. But then we walked out of the temple on the backside, and I saw a cemetery. There's a picture of it for you I want to show you in just a second. There you go. Thank you. Now, that is the cemetery outside the Hindu temple. As I was standing there and just kind of observing those graves and how ornate they were, and you see the one in the bottom right that has a a place built into it where they could burn incense to their ancestor for ancestral worship. As I sat there, all of a sudden, it hit me. And apparently I was traveling with another guy who was a retired Marine, too active, Duties in Iraq and Afghanistan built like a brick chicken house. That's the best way to travel to foreign countries with a guy like that, I guarantee you. But I looked over at him and he was crying and I was crying. Because the realization apparently hit us both at the same time. I concluded, I'm looking, and that's just part of it. There are so many graves all over that cemetery. And the thought hit me. Every single person buried in that cemetery practiced the Hindu faith, which does not recognize Jesus and Lord. Therefore, every person who's in that cemetery has not claimed Jesus as Lord. And it hit me that I was looking at a cemetery full of bodies, but whose souls were being burned in hell. And we finished our time at that temple with a very heavy heart 
Later in the day, we went to another part of town. And we went into another cemetery. You'll see its picture next. That's called the Protestant Cemetery. And in this cemetery were men and women who left home and country, who moved over to Malaysia back when they were in British control. And they had the opportunity to establish churches and plant churches and do mission work. And everyone who's buried here is in some, and again, it's just a small, a small glimpse of that, but every person buried here was a minister of some kind, a missionary of some kind, someone who had a relationship with Jesus. And as we gathered in that cemetery, it hit me again that what a stark contrast that just a few minutes ago I was staring at hundreds of graves to where every person who's buried there is in hell, and now I'm staring at hundreds of graves here, and in all likelihood I know it's possible to, to be a missionary and to be a minister and to be a pastor and not be saved, but, but chances are that most everybody in that cemetery, that their body is buried in the ground, but their souls are in heaven with Jesus, and the thought that hit me at that moment, and it stuck with me ever since, and I want to share it with you today, is this, while every person's body might rest in peace not everyone's soul will it is for that reason that we must do whatever it takes to get the gospel to our neighbors our co-workers strangers family members because eternity is too long and hell is too torturous to spend it there without Jesus. Would you bow your heads right where you are? As you, as you bow your head right where you are, we're, we're going to have a time of commitment. And maybe as you've heard through this today, maybe you've come to the realization that your body may rest in peace, but if you were to die today, your soul would not. I would encourage you to cry out to Jesus today. You've heard about his love for you as we have worshiped today in these songs. You've heard from what Paul has written that he believes Jesus and the salvation he offers is so important he'd do whatever it takes to see people experience it. If you've never experienced salvation, when I pray in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to, to, to tune out what I say and for you to pray to God. There's not a magic word or phrase that you use, but as best you can from your heart, confess your sin to God, admit to Him that you're a sinner, express to Him your desire for Him to change you, Declare to him that you believe the story of Jesus, that he lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death, even though he was not a sinner for you, that he was buried and that God raised him from the dead. And place your faith today in him through prayer. If you do that, scripture teaches me that Jesus rescues your soul. He gives you his righteousness. 
and you are forever changed. What about those of us in this room who've already done that? Has your focus been on you? Has your focus been on your comfort, your preferences, your conveniences? There's nothing wrong with comforts and conveniences and preferences, but are those crowding out the priority of the gospel? Is there someone in your life that if today were their last day on this earth, they would spend it forever separated from God? Their body might rest in peace, but their soul would not. You and I cannot save them, but the Bible does say that you can pray for them and you can have God use you as a minister of reconciliation, that God will make his appeal to them through you. Maybe you need to pray for boldness in your life to share the gospel with that one. Maybe you're thinking, Pastor, I don't have a one. Well, you need to start praying today for God to open your eyes and put someone in your life that doesn't know Jesus. Maybe you need to make a commitment to do from this day forward whatever it takes to get the gospel out. I don't know what God's placed on your heart today. I'm only asking you to put your yes on the table and commit yourself to the Lord. Father God, thank you for what Jesus has done for us. And now, Father, I pray that you would simply have your will and your way in our lives. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.